speak into the hearts of people. But, oh God, we can speak to the mind, but you can speak to the heart. And we ask, Lord, that you would do so. And we pray, Father, as we look into your word, that, Lord, you would challenge us. You would challenge us, oh God, to stand against that one who is out to destroy each and every one of us. And Lord, we do tear down everything that exalts itself against Christ. Give us the strength to do so. First in our own lives, and then in the lives of others. And into our community. Help us, O oh God, to tear down everything that exalts itself above Christ. And may we be a people who uphold that name, that name that is above every name, that name that every knee and every tongue will confess. That name that is given that men must be saved by. Lord, minister to us. Open the windows of heaven and minister to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you ask most people if they believe in God, the answer comes back, yes. They do believe in God. Our problem is that though we believe in God, we don't believe in the adversary, the one that is against God. And that becomes a huge issue even within the church. Because I don't know if church folks really believe in Satan. And that is a huge problem when we ourselves will not believe in the enemy and discover that, yeah, Satan is really real. Uh, my battery low or switch me over or help me, Lord, as the folks would say. And the issue is we assume the only one who has some type of control over our life is God. And I will say that again. We assume that. Because many of us live as though God has no control. Satan has an enormous control over our lives. He is the God of this age. He is the God of this world. And we need to understand that he is a fallen individual. But because one is fallen doesn't mean that they're weak. He's still a strong adversary. And his goal is to destroy is to destroy. 
Is your life that he wants to destroy? Is our life that he wants to destroy? And he does that in this very simple way. Causing us to be disobedient to God. Disobedient to God. Now, it is not what we see and know that keeps us from falling. And I want you to understand, Satan saw God. Satan had knowledge of God. But it didn't keep him from what? Falling. From falling. We cause ourselves to fall, similar to Satan. And therefore we want to look at Satan's fall a little bit, for we can understand our own fall. And you need to be clear on this. It's not about what you know. The scripture says, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not is what? It's not that we don't know to do good, but we don't what? Often want to practice what is good. We can say it in this fashion too. He that knoweth to do right and doeth it not is what? It's sin. And a lot of times we know the right thing to do, but we refuse to what? Do the right thing. We just refuse to do it. Not that we don't know. It's not that we were not reared in a proper manner or parents didn't teach us or we don't have knowledge that this thing is good and this is bad. We choose. We choose. And Satan made a choice. It's not that Satan didn't know. Satan knew. Satan knew. But our problem is the same problem that Satan has, that Lucifer had. I want to be independent from God. You kind of hear this over and over again with young folks, and I was there too. (coughs) I wanted to be independent of my dad. I wanted to be independent of my mom. I didn't want to come home from my paper route, collecting on Friday, and had to put $10 down there to mom. I didn't, I didn't like that. I'm the one through them papers all week. I, I kind of forgot the ones that's doing the washing, doing the cooking, you know, doing the cleaning, making up the bed, putting clean sheets on it. kind of forgot about that person. You know, I wanted to be independent. When I went out there and collected my little $25, $26 as a paper boy, I didn't want to share that. I wanted that. wanted to be independent. Yeah. Boy, my dad said, when you save $500, the Mustang only costs $1,900, brand new. Boy, 
boy, I went in the bank, I put $50 in, and the girl put one extra zero, and I went back to the very, just went around the block, came back and drew out $500. Went and got my Mustang. But my dad had to sign. One be independent of that. Independent. And you hear children say, I just can't wait until I get grown and I move out of here. Where are you going? As the old folks used to say, you ain't got a pop, we'll leave it there. But we want to be independent of God. And that was Satan's big problem. And whenever you find independence, a person who wants to be so independent and self-reliant and self-governing, what you find is pride. Is pride. Now, independence from influence of God. Independence from God controlling. We all want to control our own lives. We want to set our own destiny. We want to do our own thing. And we want to be independent of God snooping into my business. I want to be independent of having to depend on Jesus Christ to help me do anything. I'm like that little child that used to grab mama's hand and walk. I was fearful to let go of Mama's hand when I look around at things, but I just hold on to that hand, and I would see. But then came a day I, I no longer wanted to hold the hand. Feel like a little embarrassment to be walking down or walking in the mall, walking inside, holding Mom's hand. Same thing with God. It seemed like it's embarrassing to say I depend on God. I want to do this thing myself. I don't want Jesus to be a crutch for me. And I definitely don't want the Holy Spirit convicting me about sin. I know what sin is. I don't need him around to tell me this is wrong. And what was basically saying... I don't want God nowhere in my life. Because if God is who he say he is, he's going to be involved in your life whether you want it or not. (laughs) What happened on the cross, Jesus Christ happened for all men and all women who are willing to bow their knee and confess Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is available to every one of us. But we can quench him. And in a sense, we can almost just tell him, shut up. I don't want to hear another word. Because we want to be independent. Fighting with God is saying, I want to be self-reliant. And in control of my life. That's all I was really saying. When we disobey God and we're going to fight with God, what we're basically saying, 
I want to be self-reliant. I want to be in control here. I want to dictate here. And I don't want you to be anywhere involved in my life. You just save me, leave the rest to me. Pride. Now, let's take a moment to understand this. There's only one person who is self-reliant. And that's God. Let me share you a little secret. God don't need you. God don't need me. Go to Genesis 1-1 for me for a moment. Genesis 1-1. Very important statement there. And I think sometimes we miss it. But it's a very powerful statement. In the beginning, what? Then the next word that follows, created. But it says, in the beginning, what? God was all by himself. Didn't need no angels. Didn't need no animals. Didn't need no humanity. Didn't need anything. And somehow suspended himself after all by himself without an earth to even put his foot upon. Didn't need no heaven. Didn't need anything. In the beginning, God. Self-reliance. Fulfilling all of his own needs. By himself. Then the next word is created. Created out of love. Created. Not that he needed someone to talk to. Not that he needed servants or needed people to praise him. See, one thing about knowing who you are. You never need somebody to pat you on the back. You look at what you have done and you are the one who has to say, boy, that's good. Whether people ever pat you on the back or not, that's good. There are places in Akron, if I go to Blossom Music Center, I'm able to see some of my work. If I go to Akron General Fellowship, I'm still able to see some of my work. If I go to North High School, I'm still able to see some of my work. I step into some people's homes around here in Akron, I'm still able to see my work. I can go buy some new homes and I can say, boy, when that home is being built, I did that in that home and that in that home. And when I was done with it, I was proud of what I did. And God didn't have anybody patting him on the back after creation. You know what God said? What I did, it was good. It was good. It was good. Go to Acts 17. Again, just looking at God. Because he's the only one who is self-reliant. He has no need, really, of you or of me. He, he, He doesn't have that need where... I need you to do something for me 
or, or do that for me. No, he doesn't have that. Run an errand for me. Uh, bring me some food. Uh, give me a glass of water. He don't have that. It says in verse 24, The God who made the world and everything. He did what? He made what? Everything. Self-reliance. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and what? Earth. He knows who He is. He knows He's the Lord of heaven. It don't matter what title Satan may have at this present time. God knows who He is. I am the Lord of heaven and earth. And He says, and does not live in temples built by what? Boy, don't mean He doesn't visit us. But see, He doesn't need a temple. He doesn't need a shelter. He doesn't need it. And he says in 25, And he is not served by human what? Yeah. He's self-reliant. He's not served by your mouth. Oh yes, we need to praise him. Recognizing the work that he's done. Recognizing who he is. Recognizing our position and his position. We praise him for who he is. But he knows who he is. And guess what? If I never opened my mouth to him, I would never diminish who he is. For me to praise him, boy, it does something to my heart and my mind. It doesn't change God. Oh, does he delight in my praises? Yes. Why? He says, my child knows who I am. My child knows who I am. My child recognizes my power. My child recognizes what I'm able to do. My, my child recognizes my authority. When we praise him. And he says, boy, and he is not served by human hands, now catch this part, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Look who's doing the giving. God's doing the giving. He gives life and breath and everything. Else. Now, Satan's downfall. Let's go to Isaiah 14 14. Because here comes Satan's one big problem, which is our big problem. Oftentimes we'll talk about who's on the throne of your heart. Is Jesus really on your throne? Or are you on the throne? And that's where we battle. Isaiah 14, 14. Who's really sitting on the throne of your heart or dictating the emotions of your heart or your life? Who's doing that? 
Who's influencing your heart? Who's influencing your thoughts? Who's doing that? And what is your thought? What is your thought? Not going to read it all, but right here in 14, go to verse 14. Listen to what Satan says. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. In other words, I'm going to step higher than God. I'm going to step higher. And he says, I will make myself. And that's what we want to do. Make ourselves like the most high. Like the most high. I will make myself. Now, now, he knew he could not be God. So Satan said, I'll be like God. I'll have people who I influence. I'll have people who I will control. I'll have people who will listen to me. I'll have people who bow down to me. I'll have people who praise me. I'll have people who will follow after me. I will be like God. Not that I'll be God, but I'll be like him. And a lot of us, without even saying it, we say the same thing. I'm going to be like God because I'm going to control my own little world. I'm going to make my own decisions without ever even asking God to talk to me about this or give me guidance on this. I'm going to be self-reliant and I'm going to be just like God. Don't have to ask anybody anything. Boy, before I got married, my dad said one thing. You sure you're ready? I said, yeah. He said, are you ready to come home and tell somebody where you've been? Are you ready to tell somebody where you're going? Are you ready to have somebody get in your wallet? Are you ready for somebody to chew you out because you come home too late? All that is, boy, we think we're ready for something. And we're going to, and we find out just the opposite. Just the opposite. We are, as much as we hate to say it, a dependent people. I depend on Elaine. I depend more and more on my children as I grow older. God has made us that way. And whenever we want to step out of being dependent, we're ready to fall. We're going to face a fall. Satan chose to fight with God. Go back to Revelations. Chapter 12. Most, and I, I think I am beginning to agree with the author in some of this here, that 12 is the most important chapter in Revelation to grapple through it all. 
And you see that in this verse 7 it says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels. Dragon is is identifying Satan as one of great strength. Fierce. And he says, boy, he fought against God. Now, I want to suggest to you something. And you're going to have to run through this in your own mind. But I'm going to make the suggestion here to you. God, if you just want to leave, you leave. My dad used to say the doors swing both ways. You can come or you can go. When you think you're grown enough to go out that door and make it, you go. But when you come in that door, remember the rules are the same. You can come and go. But you got to remember when you come in that door, even though you've grown, the rules are the same. Satan has this rebellion because, see, Satan felt that he was going to sit in God's throne. And that wasn't going to happen. Let me illustrate it this way if I can. A lot of times young kids think they're going to take the seat of their parents in the home. See, you got freedom to leave. But if you think you're going to stay here and sit in the ruling chair, now we got war. We got war. If you're going to stay here and not obey me, we got war. And it says in the scripture that he was hurled out of heaven. In other words, he was thrown out or made to leave. Because God is not going to have disobedience staring him in the face. And it says he was hurled out. He fought this fight because his goal was, in a sense, to capture heaven. And he realized something that you and I need to realize. We're not strong enough to fight God. But yet we do, don't we? We fight God here. We fight God mentally. We fight God in our disobedience here. And we fight with God. Lord, you don't know what I got to go through. You just said to God, he don't know all things. God, you don't know how hard it is. Well, what you don't realize is this. If God asks you to do something, he's going to strengthen you to do it. We battle with God up here. And we fight with him. And we, a lot of times, give ourselves an excuse of why we're going to do this, this, or that. Everybody that I've seen go through a divorce, 
goes through the divorce because they're not willing to obey God, period. And their minds are made up. I'm done with this. As though God is done with it and can't do anything else. And therefore the divorce comes. And it says, why? And his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. We're not strong enough to fight against God. If Satan wasn't strong enough, if Satan couldn't defeat him, why do we sometimes put it in our mind, we're going to defeat God? And oftentimes that's what we're trying to do. And we meet with failure just like he did. The second thing it says, and we need to take note of, when you fight with God, you're going to lose a place or a position. And the word place there can be dwelling. Satan lost his dwelling place, but before this took place, he lived in heaven. Now, don't send the mail to heaven, for his residency is earth, temporarily. Temporarily. His residency and the place from which he functions from is earth. Because he is thrown down to earth. Now, some would suggest that this is only going to take place just before the last three and a half years. I think it's already have taken place. And why do I think that? Because he was in the garden. He was there. Tempting Eve. He was there stirring up problems. He was there. And we can see him down through history stirring up problems. But understand this important part. Billy Graham wrote that he was not the first choice that God had to be what he is. That, that God was not calling him as first choice. God was calling another man and, and, and he was able to see that man but that man would not accept that position or that call that God hung for whatever reason. And he says, God chose me. When we fight against God, don't think you're so indispensable that God can't choose somebody else to do what he's calling you to do. Not only does Satan lose his dwelling place. He no longer leads the choir in heaven. <laughs> if you understand that Satan was over music, he lost that position. You don't only lose your address, your dwelling place. You lose position. You lose standing. You lose. And we need to understand that. That we're losing position. God wants me to be up here, but because I won't obey Him, 
I, I settle for back here. God wants me to be the CEO of a company, but because I won't honor Him and won't do things in a respectful way, in an ethical way, in a way that truly honors Him, I'm back here. When I fight with God and disobey God, I lose. And Satan lost. He lost position, not just dwelling place. He lost. And not only that, even though it says he took angels with him, a third of heaven with him, still there were more angels fighting against him. But what I want you to look at is this. Before the fall, Satan commanded those angels. Satan was powerful. Satan commanded those angels. Those angels had a respect for him. Here come general so-and-so. And now all of a sudden he's lost that respect. <coughs> when you fight against God, you're going to lose the respect of those who watch your life. They're going to see it. You're going to lose a position that God has for you and desires to lift you up in. You're going to lose it. There's a cost in being disobedient and fighting against God. And I want you to understand something. It didn't change God one bit. It did not change God one bit. He still sits on his throne. He still rules heaven and earth. He's still there. But Satan was hurled out. The verb is. Is to be thrown out. Satan was not willing just to leave. It's like a child again in the home. I'm, I'm 18 years old. I'm 19 years old. I'm going to come and go when I want to. I'm grown. But you don't have a house with your name on it. You're not paying no mortgage, but you want to come in there and rule. And that's not going to happen. God has final say over our lives. And he said to Satan, go. Throw him out. And he was gone. Now, somebody's going to ask the question, well, how does he get back in now? Heaven is off limits to Satan as far as being in his home or making that his place. So I always told my children, you live a certain way, you can always come home. But if you live another way, you can come by and get a meal, but you ain't spending no night. And it was their choice. Satan can come and make his report or his accusations against us to God. But it's strange what Scripture says. 
in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Job, when the Lord said, from whence you have come, and Satan always says, earth, why? Earth is his home now. Earth is his address. But I have an accusation to make against one of your childrens. I have an accusation that they broke your rule. They're not living up to your standards. And he picks up this name, the accuser of the brethren. So he goes back and forth into heaven to make his accusations before God. Why? Because God is in control of all life. And understand this. Satan can do no more to you than what God allows. What God permits. So, when you get in that verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuse them before our God, how often? Day and night. He's making his accusations. He's accusing. He's looking at your life and my life. Now, understand something. That's where Satan is also limited. Satan does not have the right, even though Scripture says he's a killer. I want to take you all the way back to Genesis. Abel and Cain. Satan may have influenced Cain to do what he did to Abel, but Satan himself didn't do it. Follow me? Because, see... God is the giver of life. He didn't put that into Satan's hand. But that doesn't mean Satan will not influence you and I, because you and I, we have that little authority, we think, to take life, and we are constantly demonstrating that. That we'll take somebody else's life. But if we do it, it's because we've been influenced by who? By the enemy to do it. Hey. Satan himself cannot take life, but he can influence it. He can't give life, and he can't take it. And that whole issue there is that, boy, he's an accuser. Now, what is he accusing us of? He's accusing us of not being the people that God has created, that God has called. He's accusing us from breaking his principles, his standards, his laws, living the way that he would have us to live. His office is here on earth now. And his operations all take place here on earth. So Satan will help you stumble and then go tell on you. Any of you had them brothers and sisters? They talk you into something and they beat you home before and be telling mom and dad, so and so did this, but they're the ones who. 
encouraged it. No. <clears throat> he accuses the saints of God for breaking the rules of God against even one another. We talk evil of one another. Everybody has an opinion of other folks, and that's fine. But there's a fine line expressing your opinion out of care and just slandering and speaking evil against people. Tearing them down. Knowing what you're saying really isn't true, nor do you really have the facts to back what you're saying. Satan. But what I want you to also understand is this now. Satan the accuser, and then it says, boy, now has come the salvation, the deliverer. The one who can rescue me. The one who can save me. The one who will advocate for me. King James uses that word advocate. In 1 John 2.1. He's my lawyer. He's my defense. He's the one who stands up and speaks on my behalf when Satan's tearing me down. He's my advocate. He's the one who's going to rescue me. He's the one who's going to deliver me. He's the one who's going to keep me from falling. He's our defense. Go to 1 Corinthians 6.20. 1 Corinthians 6.20. Because... He says, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your what? Now, the word I want you to really hang on to here is this. You were bought with a price. Not only, now understand this. Not only did God give you life from your mother's womb. But God bought you back. When Satan stole you from him, God paid the price to buy you back. He paid the ransom to get back his own children. He paid it. There wasn't no price too high. That he was willing to give his only son for you. To shed his blood for you. Because it wasn't gold. That Satan's after. It wasn't silver that Satan's after. It wasn't these precious stones here on earth that Satan's after. What Satan was after was to hurt God. And the only way he could hurt God was messing with us. And God then paid the price 
to redeem us from the destruction of Satan. He simply says, You were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God in your body. Go to First Peter one eighteen. We see it a little different and we hear the story just a little bit different. Because, see, Satan is out to destroy us. And, 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 and Satan has kidnapped us. He's taken us, in a sense, from God. And, and God is willing to redeem us, to rescue us, to purchase us anew. In verse 18, he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life, handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood, salvation comes how? By the blood. By blood. Salvation comes by blood. See it in the Old Testament. Salvation came by the blood of an innocent animal that would die for man's sin. The animal didn't do anything. But his life was demanded. Because whenever you shed the blood, the life is forsaken. And Jesus is described as that Lamb of God. Who shed his blood and gives his life that we might have salvation. So the angels cry out, salvation has come. Yes, there's an enemy, there's an accuser, there's a slayer. Yes, there's one who will kill and rob. And yes, his name is Satan. But praise God that there's a Jesus Christ. Who will deliver, who will rescue, and who will save to the uttermost. He's there. And it's not with precious gold or silver, but with his own blood he shed. Satan is allowed to enter heaven to bring about his accusations. Go, go very quickly with me to Job 1. He's been kicked out. I, I just hold to that. And some will say, no, this isn't going to happen to the last three and a half years. And that's fine too. You hold to that and I'll hold to mine. But the whole thing, here he, here he is making an accusation. Remember I said that he was hurled out, thrown out? That Satan was thrown to earth. Jesus said, boy, I saw him fall like lightning from heaven to Earth. And understand that it didn't take long. Hey. Now, in Job 1, 6, it says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Now, sometime we need to stop and ask ourselves, Why does God address this to this person and not to the others? Hey. See, there were... Uh, 
14 of us as children in our home. And as we moved out, my mom gave us our bunk beds or gave us wherever we were. And some of them were married. But when my dad would come home from work and see Zattlers, Leonard, or Coy, or Robert there at the house, he first think they were just visiting. But when it came around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and they still there, they're not visiting. They're planning on spending the night. And one of the things Dad would ask, what's going on, boy? <laughs> See, you're supposed to be at home. <laughs> you got an apartment you're paying for. You got a wife to get. Why are you here? But the ones who lived there, I could come in. He wouldn't ask me that question. I lived there. Wayne could come in. He lived there. Richard come in. He lived there. See? But he says to Satan, he didn't say it to the other angels. Why? Their address is heaven. They live there. And he says, Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. That's my home, earth. From roaming in the earth. You didn't hear the other angels answer. He didn't ask the other angels. But he did ask Satan. Where have you come from? Why? Heaven's not your home. Where did you come from, Satan? From earth. Hey. Go to 2, chapter 2. He says, On another day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? It's almost like saying, you're visiting a little bit too much now. Hey, hey. See, you, you didn't pack your bags. You made your choice to move out. Now I'm seeing you too much. Hey. And, and again, he says, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord. From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Where is Satan's home? Right here. Not heaven. He got a new address. Hey. Luke 22. <coughs> Luke 22. Huh? Look what he asked. Because see. This could be you too, and it is you, because the second you in this is referring to you. Uh, the uh, first you, in a sense, is singular. The second you is plural, meaning all you, okay. or you all. Okay. And in verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to shift you. Plural. As wheat, but I have prayed for you. Simon, that your faith may not fall. 
And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. For that second you is plural. But I have prayed for you, plural. Why? Satan want to do what? He want to shift all of us. All of us. Satan wants to do harm to all of us. But I like what the scripture says there. He asked. He asked. He can't do no more to you than what God allows. And when God allows it, it's for the testing of your faith that you might know where you stand. God gives us power to overcome. To overcome through this thing called salvation. And that's part of what we're going to look at even next week. In that area, respect yourself. How many of you really respect yourself as a Christian? Carry yourself as a godly woman, a godly man. That you really respect yourself and know who you are in Christ. He says, you come down in verse 11. He says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. So they didn't overcome him by what? By themselves. It was not by themselves that they were able to overcome this arch enemy. It was not in their own power to defeat Satan. So the very first thing he lets us know, they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. It's it's a testimony of what Christ has done. His death, his resurrection on our behalf. That's where the victory is at. Because of what Christ has done. That he died for my sin. That's my victory. That he rose. Which is a promise that one day I will be resurrected. And I will live eternally with God. That's my victory. And it says by the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. That I'm saved. That I'm saved. And it's by his work. That I'm able. By his work. He said. I overcome him. By the blood of the lamb. And look at the next part. And by the word of their testimony. By the word of their testimony. By their confession. By the way in which they spoke about the God that saved them. The God that they love. The God that redeemed them. The God that delivers them. That's what saved them. And they were not ashamed of God. For Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. It is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God unto salvation. And they were not ashamed of the gospel. They were not ashamed of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem with a lot of us as Christians today, we really do not understand the work of Christ on our behalf. It's just, again, well, I'm using a lot of illustration from home, but they keep popping up in here. It's like a child 
who don't appreciate dad and mom going out to work every day. And can't help at home sweep the floor, wash the dishes, keep your room clean, and don't appreciate anything mom and dad has done. And there's times that we treat our God like that. We do not appreciate what he has done for our behalf. We don't appreciate it. And we take it for granted. We take it as though he owe it to me. He doesn't owe it to me. He doesn't owe it to me. And it says by their testimony. Boy, go through scripture sometime and, and read Paul's testimony. Of what he once was and what God has done. How God has saved him from being thrown out on the garbage heap. Read Peter's testimony of how great God is. Go back in the Old Testament and read the testimonies of what God has done and how God had delivered. It says by the testimonies of their mouth. If you had to give a testimony for God, what would it be? Oh, he saved me. But what would be the wonders in that salvation that God has done? The sacrifice God has made for you that you might have salvation. And it says, boy, by the testimony that they had. Now look at this third part. Because these three things are critical. One, they understood salvation was by the blood of Christ. His death and his resurrection. They understood it was through their testimony, their confessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And number three, they did not love their own lives. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I hope I would have the nerve to say if somebody's going to take my life because I'm a believer in Christ. I'm, I'm glad I don't live in China or parts of Africa. I'm glad I don't live in certain areas. Because God would have to give me, and I know this old fell fresh, flesh of mine. God would have to give me extraordinary strength to say, I believe in God, take my life. See, they were not fearful to lose their lives believing in God, standing for his principles, standing for his word, standing for him. And the scripture tells us, pick up our cross, how often? Yeah, a constant reminder, we're already dead. And it says, 
they didn't so treasure their life that they were not willing to die for the name of Christ. When you read stories about the martyrs and the Romans throwing them to the lion, you had Christians voluntarily lining up saying, I'll go, I'll go. It's not that Romans were going out searching for them and trying to find Christians. Christians were ready to give up their life for Christ. And they were saying, I'll go, I'll go in the arena. Why? In the arena was a place of a witness to an ungodly world that there is somebody here more powerful than the emperor who I will die for, Jesus Christ. And you don't have to hunt me down. I'll gladly surrender. Some of our missionaries are in foreign lands, especially our women. They know the threat that is to their life. They know the oppression that is over them, especially if they're a single woman. Because they have to also at that point, forget about them being Americans, they have to conform to a certain thing of what is expected of a woman in that country. And yet, every now and then we will hear of a nurse being killed on the mission field by the Muslims. There's three of our missionaries that were killed because they set up a place for expected mothers to come and be ministered to, and to be examined, and to be taken care of. And all three lost their life. Where are we willing to place ourselves? We're scared to go down Copley Road. We're scared to knock on the door because we might knock on the wrong door. We get on the bus and we shut up. Just because what we see on the bus. See how Satan has so entrapped us even in fear and keep the witnessing of the Lord Jesus Christ from going forth. But yet we'll come into this place and we'll make all kind of noise. Talk about how brave we are, what we do, this and that. But let's march down Copley Road. They, they got guns down there. They shoot down there. They, they sell drugs down there on the corner. And we forget the scripture. Where sin doeth abound, grace will what? Much more abound. And those three things speaks to the salvation that God provided. The Lamb of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ being the Lamb and shedding His blood. Their testimony. They were not ashamed to speak of their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They were not ashamed to tell other people what Jesus meant to them. And what he has done. 
and that they loved, they did not love their life to a point that they were not willing to surrender it if that would have to be the case. You can look up the scriptures that are there. And you, that last one, let's just look at this last one in Acts 21. Because, again, it's Paul. And, I, and, and as I said, kind of look at Paul and we'll do it very quickly. Acts 21.10. <clears throat> Listen to what Paul's going to say. Because it is a challenge. It says, after we have seen, there's a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us, and took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in, the, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of the belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we was going through training in Vietnam, in the camp in North Carolina, I don't know if you remember the prison camp they set up, they had to do away with it because it was causing psychological problems. I was put down two barrels. Those old 55-gallon drum barrels. And they had a couple of holes in the top, but they lower you down and put that top over it. And the only thing you see is those little spots. Other time they would put you up against a wall with a log in your hand. You can't drop that log. And every time you drop that log, you got a hit with a stick, which represents what the Vietnamese would do. You were buried, giving you an example of what could happen to you if you got caught. I finally remember telling the drill instructor, if I know the president's number and address, they got it. Don't tell me nothing you don't want me to tell. That's the best way of doing that. Because, boy, before I suffer what I'm going through here, I'll tell them everything. I'll tell them exactly where to bomb at, where to shoot at, how to get there, everything. Hey. Hey. And they said, Paul, you're going to be tied up. Paul, this is what's going to happen to you. Listen to what it says here now. In verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Remember, they didn't love their life. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also do what? Yeah. Boy, not only ready to be bound, but ready to die. How many of us in this room, and you don't have to hear your hand, but answer it within yourself. Are you really ready to die for Christ? Because most likely, if we're not ready to really die for him, we're not ready to live for him. 
And my thing is, yes, it's so easy for me in the comforts of the surroundings that I live in and somewhere of the safety, I, I can say, yes, yes, yes. But if I was living in China, if I was living in Saudi Arabia, if I was living in some parts of Africa where Muslims are very, what might I say? God knows my heart. No. Paul says, I'm not only ready to be bound, but I'm ready to die. Jesus was not only willing to come and suffer on our behalf, but he was ready to die on our behalf. And he did it. He did it. Father, we want to thank you and praise you. That, Lord, that Satan is a defeated foe. And that one, O God, who rebelled against you, show us our own pattern. Show us his own trickery, which he tries to use to deceive us to also rebel against you. Help us to understand, Lord, that we can't win a battle against you. And we want to thank you, Lord, for the advocate that you have given unto us in Jesus Christ. And we want to thank you, Lord, for the testimony that you have given us. For the confessions that we can make. For being a powerful witness on your behalf. And I want to thank you, Lord, that you have given us down through the ages those, O God, who did not fear their life for the opportunity of sharing the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to understand that Satan is a defeated foe. Yes, he's real. He's the one who accuses the brethren. He's the one who accuses the saints. And because, Lord, he can't beat up on you, as we'll learn next week, he wants to beat up on the people of God, the saints of God. But we're so thankful for an advocate in Jesus Christ.